Welcome to the Efficient Spend Podcast, where we help marketers turn media spend into revenue. My guest today is Sean Hurley. Sean, thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, You know, we've been working together for, uh, it's going to be a year coming up um, shortly, but I would love if you could kind of just introduce yourself to the audience and from the context of your experience with optimizing uh, marketing spend. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I've been in the marketing growth space for the past 16 years, uh, heavily focused on D2C, B2C brands, really focused on tech. Um, I would say my sweet spot is anywhere from series A to series B, where we're really trying to figure out what is our channel mix? Can we be profitable? Is any of this predictable? What does our data look like? Um, and during my career, I've worked for, uh, I would say, close to 15 different scale-ups, uh, driving close to half a billion dollars in revenue, but really with a focus on what's predictable, what's profitable, and how do we really level up data literacy, not only in the growth team, but across the entire company. And, and we'll dive probably more into that today. And then more recently, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to leave my daytime uh, role and launch my own consulting business. And so the goal there is just really, how do I offer fractional support to teams that that need the support, you know, when you need it, how you need it, uh, and be more behind the scenes. And so I launched a company called Pathright. And so uh, with that, I am working with the teams. I'm in the weeds. We're solving growth problems. I'm helping people achieve their their career goals. And that's my sweet spot. Like, how do I work and help more people and focus on really interesting growth problems and uh, that's how you and I met. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. And you know, one of, one of the things that you've really uh, empowered me to do a little bit more is to optimize towards revenue and optimize towards impact. And um, you know, if you look at your LinkedIn profile, uh, really fo- focused on revenue. Um, the idea that I have with efficient spend is this growth loop of turning media spend into revenue that then gets reinvested um, into media spend. And that's how you scale and that's how you create compounding returns. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanna ask you, you know, why revenue? Why revenue as a North Star? Um, It's probably an an obvious question. And I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe folks don't think about it as much, but um, how do you kind of think about, you know, optimizing teams towards impact and, and, why is revenue that kind of North Star that you focus a lot on? Yeah, I, I think there's like a couple of things. I think for, you know, what do people understand? Most people will understand revenue. If they see revenue growth, they'll understand that. Um, and I think that's an easier way to communicate, you know, where I focus, the impact I've had. But if you dig deeper into my experience, my entire focus is how do I create a diversified channel mix? You know, revenue growth is great. And companies, most companies need to focus still on revenue growth, but at the same time, an equal focus needs to be uh, put towards how do we reduce CAC? How do we continue to scale our current efforts with the same budget, with less budget? Um, How do we know if when we're scaling, we're not going to see incremental costs, which often happen? Like if I'm spending a million dollars today on Facebook and the head of growth comes to me and says, Sean, go spend another million dollars and expects CAC to stay the same. Well, that's just not possible, right? We know platforms like variably cost channels, like Facebook paid search, the pricing is like this constantly. It's constantly moving up and down every second with every ad. Um, 
which you know is important as part of a channel mix because there's not many other channels um, outside of like out of home and television that are going to drive top of funnel awareness. Um, but for me, the focus is really how do I create a, a marketing channel mix where no one channel owns more than 30% of your revenue. And the reason why I do this is because it creates more defensibility, number one, so that if one channel decides to, you know, bomb, like let's look, look back at like when they did the iOS update. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, all these companies that were relying on Facebook to drive 90% of their revenue tanked and they had no easy solution to move that revenue to another channel. For companies that have built a diverse channel mix, it only really impacted 20, 30% of their revenue. And, and by that time, they were able to move the rest of that gap over to their other channels in the mix. And so um, the reason why I focus on that is I wanna see a combination of a couple of things. I wanna see how do we introduce non-paid channels like SEO, CRM, organic influencers, content. How do we build, bring in fixed cost channels like referral programs that have a viral coefficient to them? How do we focus on affiliates and partnerships and then variably cost channels, because between all three of those, we can actually reduce CAC significantly. And in some cases, I've come into companies full-time or fractional, and we'll see like a 70% CAC reduction simply by diversifying our revenue mix within our, within our, our, our channels. And that's like, people are like, well, uh, you know, why, why don't we want to continue to push on Facebook if we're seeing the growth from it? It's like, you're seeing revenue growth, you're seeing top line growth, but you're not actually seeing CAC reduction. If you can continue to drive Facebook and hold your costs at the same time, bring in more scale with non-paid and fixed costs, your overall CAC is going to come down and allows you to play a little bit more with your variably cost channels. And so, um, you know, revenue is the North star because companies need to grow regardless, even if it's slow. Um, but at the same time, you need to be finding ways to reduce your CAC. Like no, nobody wants to buy a stock at a public company that uh, it's just burning cash and no one is going to give somebody a next round of funding if what they're doing has no sustainability to it. They're not gonna just pay um, for that money to come into the company and go out towards Facebook and, and Google search. Um, and so for me, my entire focus in my career is how do I help companies diversify their channel mix I think the input to that is data literacy. Most teams don't truly understand the PNL of the business. They don't understand if I do this thing, here's my input, what is the output? And we'll dive into it deeper, but you know, in my point of view, every single person in the company owns growth. It is not just a marketing uh, ownership, product, customer service, operations, finance, every single person has an ability to impact uh, growth, but not even just, just top line growth, but how do we make it more efficient? For sure. Yeah. And, um, I think it's, it's been kind of a, a mindset shift for, for me over the past couple of years, um, understanding playing the game within Facebook and knowing, okay, here's the campaign strategy. Here's the budget management, the creative changes that, that we need to make. How do we optimize this spend within this very specific, uh, channel. Um, and that also hits a level of diminishing returns too. There's only a, uh, and it's probably a large audience, but there is mm -hmm. a, uh, diminishing returns in a given channel. Um, and so, and there's a di diminishing returns within, within paid as well. Uh, it, it, it's kind of funny. This, this podcast is about efficient spend from the context of, paid media budget, but one of the first things you look at is how do you optimize these 
non-paid channels to reduce CAC. Um, yes. I also, you know, a lot of the folks that I follow on LinkedIn that run these paid media agencies are so focused on the hacks to optimize that that Facebook spend. Um, I wonder, you know, when you do advising and you bring on a, a client and maybe they ask you, what should we be doing with our, our paid? Uh, what are the type of um, like, what are the sound bites or, or what's the the data that that you're trying to glean from them to understand are you not investing in SEO enough are you not investing in organic right. enough are you not investing in influencers enough is that like that first line of questions that you that you go into when you're kind of evaluating a new client that you're working with I mean it really depends on the client but I would say uh, let's say 80% of the people I work with are spending a lot of money on paid channels, but and let's just say, say Facebook, for example. Um, I think that the secondary questions are, how do we diversify your channel mix? The first question I ask is, what percentage of your spend is profitable? That, that, at a very simple question. So if I spend a dollar on Facebook, what am I getting back, if anything? And based on their ability to answer that question or not, um, I have a good sense of where I'm at from a data literacy, from an efficiency standpoint of that channel, I've come into companies where they are quote unquote, the best at Facebook performance. And I'll ask them the question, what percent of your spend is profitable? And they can't answer that question. And so my, my second line of question is, okay, so say we broke it down into three different categories. Over the past, let's say 60 days, what percentage of your spend did you acquire customers at or below your CPA or your CAC target? So how many customers did you acquire that are profitable? So if we say $100 is your CPA, how many customers did you acquire for $100 or less as a percentage of your spend over 60 days? The next one is what percent of your spend did you acquire customers at 100 or higher, which is your incremental cost to acquire a customer? You set up, you, you want to spend 100. How many did you get at 101, 200, 500, 1,000? The third category is what percentage of your spend did you spend and have no conversions? The unfortunate part, and most of the time, is that percentage is often way too big. It should be about 10 to 15% because you're going to launch campaigns, they're going to fail, ones are going to work and then stop working, but your ability to turn those off quickly is really where you're going to find more profitable spend. And what I'm trying to really isolate is, in, cat in the first category, in terms of how much you have in your profitable spend, if you're acquiring customers at $40, like all day, why would you not spend more on those campaigns to max out that opportunity between $40 and hundred? Because all of the conversions that exist within that, that, that period of time and within that space is profitable. On the secondary category, which is your incremental spend, I'm gonna say, why are you spending money when it's already above the average cost to acquire a customer? Like this fallacy that Somehow that ad that is now costing you $400 is going to come down under $100 in the next few days is unrealistic. And statistically, it becomes impossible. Every dollar you spend above your average becomes harder to actually make it more profitable. And so I dive. So what percentage of your spend is profitable is the first question. Next is break down your spend so I understand how much of it's profitable, how much of it is incremental, and how much of it was just a total waste. And... As much as I want to believe that, uh, you know, the bigger the budgets are, the more efficient the spend is, it's often the other way around. Right. People that are spending like 20K a month on Facebook, they're watching every single dollar. They're ruthless with their spend. When it gets bigger and bigger, 
if you're not, if you don't have other channels to take the pressure off of the growth targets for the marketing team, Facebook is pushed to its limits. Like it really is. And I think that's where you start to see companies move away from understanding profitable spend and they're just giving you blended CAC. What's your average cost to acquire a customer on Facebook? Oh, well, it's $105. And my, my, the way my brain works is, okay, well, the average is 105. So how many are you converting up at like three or 400 and how right. many are down at like 10, $15. And so before I even get into another channel mix, I want to stop essentially like the wasted spend, which is often, Hey, we've been spending a million dollars a month on Facebook, 300,000 of it. Uh, we're actually, it's going into this bucket of not acquiring any customers. Let's use that more effectively. And I'm helping them basically reinvest in their channel. Like how do you create your own budget to sure. do that by delivering more profitable growth and that profitable growth, if your arrangement with the company is, Hey, if you're acquiring customers at $50 on average, take that additional 50 that we were giving you for your CAC, reinvest those dollars back into your budget. And that's how you create that profitable channel. After that, I start getting into, okay, we're going to take our Facebook CAC from hundred dollars down to 50, but our total CAC across the company is still high because our other paid channels are not as efficient. So we're going to start figuring out when do we introduce SEO? It's going to take six to 12 months to ramp up. And over time, as that's ramping up, we can be reducing some of our paid efforts that are not efficient. And so it's really like a, depends on how they answer. I know there's a long-winded way of say, ask, answering the question, but it's not really as simple as, um, hey, go add more channels. It's what is the current state of your spend? Sure. Um, yeah. And a simple question like what percentage of your spend is profitable because of uh, privacy, uh, challenges in measurement, complexity, a lot. Of, I would I don't know what that number is, but you know, what percentage of people can answer that question <laughs> right off the bat? Um, usually, usually 10%, 10 to 20%. And, and it's because like, even if you were to say, you know what, we, we don't know unique numbers. We don't have con unique conversion numbers. Okay. Well then let's just be super simple and say, how many customers did you acquire yesterday? And what was your average cost? How many customers did you acquire the next day? What was your average cost? And so you're getting a sense of like, you're still able to see okay, well, we know CAC on Tuesdays is 40% higher than CAC on Fridays. Well, okay, let's spend more money on Fridays. Let's reduce our money on the days that's not as effective. And so, you know, I think the attribution often becomes uh, an escape opportunity or an excuse. And I think there are always ways to, when you're digging into data, to find the answers you need. It won't, it won't be perfect. And I think that's okay. I don't think that there's anybody in the space that has this nailed down to like an absolute science and perfection. Mm -hmm. But even if we say we're converting customers on average for this amount, I would start cutting all of my, all of my performing, all my ads that are now being spent above a certain percentage of that average cost. So if it's a hundred dollars is our average and there's a campaign that's at 150, often your incremental cost to acquire a customer is inflated because people let those campaigns stay on for too long. Like people aren't cutting their losses fast enough. And you and I talk about this a lot, right? It's scale your wins faster, cut your losses faster. And I think that kind of methodology is not applied often because of the pressures that are on the channel and the team. The team is like, well, you know, it's at $180 but our other channels are driving them at $400. Let's just go with 180. And when you get into that mentality of like, well, this is better than the other thing. Um, 
it just kind of starts to balloon from there. And you find, you, you realize that you're, you're wasting a lot of money. Like in most cases, I would assume that businesses now, given the current state of economy, would actually rather you not spend the money than just trying to do it because it's cheaper than the other option available to you. Well, I, I think um, there's a couple of challenges there. One is um, at scale, uh, generally the size of your team does not expand at the velocity at which you scale into new channels. No. And so you have a smaller team managing more channels, more campaigns, more complexity. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, really good systems, processes, and tools like potentially hyperscale, right, yes. could come into play to allow you to automate some of that decision making. The other aspect of that is that you do need to wait a certain time period to get learnings yeah. on what type of campaign. And there's this sweet spot of we need enough to get what we consider to be stat sig. Yes. But we also need to be able to cut that <laughs> once we yes. figure out this is garbage. We need to get it out. Exactly. So yeah, and you see it, right? Like you stuff. see ads, you see ads get better over time, but you also see them get worse. And I think it's like to your point, having a clear understanding of at what point do you ramp and what point do you stop is honestly the the simple framework that's just not really applied to it in a lot of cases. And the reason why I focus so much on channel diversity is if say we are getting SEO or referral, say referrals, viral coefficient, or uh, more simply put, the, the percentage of people to successfully refer a friend uh, was at 0.2 or 0.3, which is 20 or 30% of all your revenue at a fixed cost of say $25. It gives you a bit more affordability to really figure out when to scale and when to stop on your variably cost channels. The problem is that these channels are often where all of your money is being spent. The, the pressure and the focus in the entire company is on the people running those channels mm-hmm. and it, you're set up for failure. And so like, I'm not only trying to think, how do I make the, the, the marketing team and the company more efficient, but like, holy shit, how do you take the pressure off those teams? Because it's, it's almost unbearable in some cases. I come in and I'm like, people feel deflated. They're like, there's no way for us to win. So we either miss the target and the company misses the entire target because the reliance on growth from that Facebook channel, for example, is so much that if they if they cut their losses too soon and they lose those conversions, even if they were incremental uh, cost, they still lose. Like there's there's a lot there's in a lot of cases there's no winning. And to your point, like for hyperscale, the entire framework of the company that Evelyn and I are building, my co-founder, is that scale faster cut faster, but also having nuances of understanding your average as it relates to maybe your CPA goal, still basing yourself on the average because it helps mitigate this concern of attribution, right? Like even if your Facebook numbers don't match what you're seeing internally within your dashboards, if you're improving Facebook on the platform directionally, it's going to be better for the business, right? I've never seen a case where, you know, we see on the Facebook platform, we've reduced costs by 50% where you're not seeing a reduction of cost in some amount within your internal numbers, right? So you're mitigating that attribution concern. I think that uh, my hope with it is if I can take away the, when do we start? When do we stop? When do we scale of ads? When do we refresh our creative? And I can free up a Facebook performance person's time by like 30 or 40%. 
it gives them time to like think more about strategy. It gives them more time to focus on creative, which you know is going to be the biggest difference in terms of performance is your ability to come out with good creative. Biggest Since level. all those targeting options changed, like the problem is you're in there tweaking so much in the weeds that you have no time to really step out and think about the creative. Well, the creative is actually going to drive the best CAC, the best performance, the best growth. And so I'm trying to not only like help focus on driving incremental improvements, reducing CAC, but also seeing your ROI go up, but also free up that human's time to focus on the thing that's going to drive the best performance. Like there's a loop there that we're trying to fix where the team isn't set up for failure because I see it all the time. And it's just, there's just so much pressure on this team and there's so much pressure on the company to scale. Um, but if you don't have the time to launch a new channel, focus on the things that are going to drive the channel, how do you win? Sure. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I posted about this uh, a couple of months ago. Um, I'd rather I'd rather spend a hundred thousand dollars, eighty k on paid and twenty k on on ads versus like ninety five k on paid, five k on yes. ads. Uh, yes. Ad development as a percentage of your spend um, that is a lever, especially with more and more yes. automation, where campaign managers are. Uh, creating campaigns where the audience is, is basically automated, automated bidding is automated. Most of it is in creative and creative mm -hmm. management and knowing yeah. when to pause and, and when to scale. Um, I want to go in a different direction though. We talked a lot sure. about <clears throat> CAC um, uh, channel diversification. Um, what about LTV, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't think we talk about it as much. And um, no. I've been thinking about this a, a little bit recently, which is to say that, from a paid marketer's perspective, a lot of the work that we do is to acquire these customers. Um, and depending on the industry, it's a little bit different, but I don't think as much about how do you deploy paid to improve LTV? Maybe that's the wrong question, but um, for maybe those in the audience that are managing a paid market marketing budget, what would your recommendations be to start to think about how do you, how do you look at this uh, LTV number and improve it? Yeah, it, it's kind of a loaded question because um, that's probably why you're asking um, because <laughs> LTV is going to be dependent on the stage of the company. And so in a lot of cases at startups, it's like, well, we need to see a six to one ratio CAC to LTV. We need to see a three to one, a 12 to one in some cases I've been at, and we need to see it over a certain period of time. And so um, I think it depends on the stage of the company. I would say that if you're like, you know, you've been around for a few years, you've got customers and cohorts that, that have stayed around, you have a pretty good sense of what like even your first 12 months of LTV is going to be. I think the thing to dig deeper into is was there a campaign? Was there a cohort? Was there a point in time that through your paid efforts drove a higher LTV? Like was that cohort more valuable for some reason? And so you can get into a situation where, we could say, okay, because Facebook, for example, drives really low quality customers, we're actually going to reduce that channel's CAC because the LTV on it is lower. What I think often happens is we have these, again, with these, these massive numbers of like, you have one CAC and you have one LTV. I don't think that's real. I think what's right. real is there's actually probably a CAC and an LTV based on uh, their demo, their persona, their likelihood to stay, their likelihood to refer a customer. Like for example, at one of the other companies uh, we worked at um, called OpenCare, we were we were seeing that like 
if someone came in on Facebook, they were three times more likely to refer a friend. Well, that means that somebody coming in through Facebook is actually worth a lot more to me than somebody that was coming in through another channel that does no referrals. And so I had to start thinking about our Facebook efforts as a relationship to how do I actually drive more referrals? So if, if Facebook, let's say, had a ROAS of one, it was break even um, on its own. But if I started to include the impact it has on referral, that ROAS goes from one to like three. And right. so, you know, for us, it was, you know, understanding channel, channel correlation also has an impact on LTV because you start to see, are they actually influencing other channels growth because the users coming from here are better quality. They're talking more socially. They're posting on their organic social on their own platforms. Um, and so I think what, what happens is like teams need to push harder on what is the actual quality of the people coming from your channel and how do you either fight for, you know, a bit more room on CAC because you could say like, our max is, is $100, but we think if we add an additional $10, the unlock of customers coming from 100 to 110 are valuable. Like we, we think that like by changing that, we, like their, their LTV is so much stronger than other channels that we're, we're actually hindering growth because we're setting a cap at 100 across all of our channels. And so I think that's where LTV comes into play. Like another example is a company I worked for in New York, um, we had this SaaS product and we offered it to three different personas. We, we had pro photographers, businesses, and personal. And then we had monthly plans and annual plans. When I started, we had one CAC goal uh, based on the LTV and it was all blended. Yeah. Uh, by the time I left, we had a CAC goal by persona, by monthly or annual, and by channel. And with that, we were able to really understand and drive our costs lower, but also focus on those high value customers. Because what we were doing is we were actually underspending on businesses. We were saying, oh, we're only willing to spend, again, $100. We're only willing to spend $100 to acquire a business. Sure. But what we realized was when we started looking at the LTV, they were like four times more valuable than the personal, where we were spending the same amount of money to acquire personal that we were for business. And so once we understood those dynamics of like a business user's LTV was significantly higher, we're willing to spend a bit more on the CAC side because we can drive growth and it's actually more profitable. And so I think um, my my overarching thought as a, as a marketer or growth person, whatever you want to call me, is you need to dig deeper. Like growth comes from granularity. It does not come from blended numbers and one KPI. And so, you know, at the start of the conversation, you said, why revenue? It's like, well, everyone understands revenue. But in order to really talk about revenue that matters, it's profitable revenue. And that's going to come from granularity. You need to dive deep. Like the more you move away from blended numbers, the more opportunity you're going to see. And it's painful at the start. It's painful because you're like, shit, we've wasted a lot of money. Like I've been, I've been at companies where I've come in and 10% of their spend is profitable. And they've burned through $14 million of their seed round uh, on unprofitable spend. And then they're like, well, what do we do? We only have a few million left of runway. How do we solve this? And it's like, okay, well, you have an email list of a hundred thousand that are not active. We can figure out how to activate them. We can see who's in your current base that could do a referral. How do we offer incentives? How do you do a discount so that the discount uh, on one of your channels improves the conversion rate so much that it also reduces CAC even though you've added an incentive. And so um, I think that, uh, 
granularity, data literacy are probably the biggest unlocks, but if, if you can really dive deeper into what is the value that each customer is bringing by channel, by segment, by whatever you want to, however you want to slice it up, um, there's more opportunity for growth. Yeah, um, that's a great answer. And then uh, it, it kind of inspires me too. Um, and I think about from even a more granular paid perspective, how channel correlation, um, different channels impact the performance and other channels. As an example, investing more in upper funnel uh, awareness-based campaigns will generally improve performance. Um, and it makes sense, right? Uh, when you think about audiences, you wanna create intent and there's a certain portion of your audience that is going to be ready to purchase this product. Um, and you can really go get those in the door with very direct response type of marketing, but you use upper funnel and brand as a lever to build that intent to bring them down. Yeah. Um, and you see that, uh, you can see that Im improvement. Um, I, I wanna, I, I know we have a, about 10 minutes left. Um, I wanna get into rapid fire, but before I do that, um, something I completely nerd out on is yeah. lifestyle design. Um, so I'm sure maybe a lot of people listening read the four hour work week, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and, you know, in our careers, a lot of us are working remotely now. We have a lot more flexibility in the ability yeah. to manage our work week the way that we want. We can now work out in the middle of the day. We don't have to go to an office for a lot, a lot of folks. Um, I wonder if there's any kind of tips or, or tricks or recommendations that you have for how do you think about kind of like planning your your week out? Um, what are some some frameworks that could be helpful for uh, for folks in in that regard? Specifically, I guess around optimizing towards impact. I'm starting to think about that more, right? Mm -hmm. but, uh, I think a lot about this idea of inputs and outputs, right? Efficient spend. The logo is turning media spend into revenue. The the input mm -hmm. going is the output. Um, if the output is kind of like input, the output is impact. The input is our time and what we're doing with it. Yes. So how do you kind of think about that? Sure. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What percentage of your week is spent on impactful things where you can draw a very clear line of the hour you spent on something and the impact it's going to have on the business? I would say 30%, a third, 33%. Yeah. That's most people, right? Like I think the 80-20 rule applies and it. it's something that like I fall into all the time. I'll be like, well, I'm so busy. I'm doing all these things. And then I hit pause and I ask myself how much of this is actually having impact on what I'm trying to accomplish. And most of the time it's 20%. And the like, sorry, 80% of what I'm working on uh, drives 20% of the impact and then vice versa. And I do this exercise all the time with my teams at scale. It's let's write down everything you're working on right now. And let's see how quickly we can tie a correlation between the function you're doing and the impact we're trying to drive. And really quickly, it's like you could have 10x more impact and work half the time if you wanted to, because you're working on a lot of things that are keeping you busy, but not really having the impact you want. And so when it comes to like lifestyle design, you know, for me, for me, example, like when I was a full-time executive at a startup, I was working 70 to hundred hours a week. I was burning out constantly. And when I took a quick step back and I said, well, what am I spending my time on? It was all these things that 
we tell ourselves that are important that I, I thought that I had to do. And then I decided to quit my job and be a consultant where all I do is spend time in working sessions, one-on-ones, looking at data, giving feedback. And I'm able to do uh, that with four different companies all within the same week. And I don't take meetings on Fridays. Mondays are a slower day. I do a lot of my meetings between Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the impact has been greater. And so for me, it's like, I do this every single week. I look at my calendar and I say, is the thing that I have in my calendar going to drive the impact I want? If not, it doesn't need to happen. And I think the more ruthless you can get with that, the better. But I think it's important for managers and leaders to do that with their teams. The hard part is I, as the, as the employee, think I'm doing something for Paul, my manager, that he wants me to do. And then when I ask Paul, Paul's going to say, well, why are you working on that? That's not important to me at all. But often the miscommunication creates these crazy workloads where people think they need to continue doing something or start doing something that's actually not that helpful. And so I think it's like, you can do it on your own. Just ask yourself, like, where can I draw the lines easily? Uh, and then do, a, do a, a, an assessment with your manager, or if you're the leader, do it with your staff. Like people spend way too much time on things that are not that important, myself included. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, part of that is, work the the meetings that that you're in recurring meetings things like that um but part of it is uh it's funny but like from an roi perspective exercise meditation healthy eating good sleep like those levers are super important as well to prevent burnout i i have never been more healthy and consistent from an energy standpoint than i have been since i started my fractional business so like Fridays, I was very specific in that I don't work, I don't do calls, um, and I ride my bike. Like I, I, Fridays are literally for the thing that helps me from an active meditation. I, I, do, I do some mindful meditation, but I find for me, the best way to clear my brain or just declutter is to be on my bike, to be running, to go to the gym, uh, getting more sleep. And so once you start cutting out all these hours that are spent on ineffective things, you actually create more balance without actually trying to create more balance right you know people are like well you know i want to start getting i want to start finishing work at four o'clock it's like you could finish at two o'clock probably and have just as much impact as if you were to work to six o'clock and so for me now i sleep better i have more time for my my friends and family i'm exercising more and i have not been burnt out in two years where before i was in a cycle of every six months i was burning out and i had no life i wasn't available to my friends and family um I felt like I was just kind of like on this hamster wheel and it just, you, it, you never feel better. You just never feel better. And you're always, you're always not giving somebody something that they need. You're always under delivering. You're always missing deadlines. There, there was like no way to win until I got a lot more ruthless with my time. A simple exercise. I said, what am I good at? And what am I not good at? I wrote down everything I'm doing and I put a check or an X next to what I was good at and what I wasn't. Everything that I wasn't good at or didn't want to spend my time on, I stopped doing. And that list of like what I'm good at was very small, but has the highest impact. And again, it comes down to that 80-20. And I think if people optimize for what are they really good at, what gives them energy, it's typically going to be the things that give them the most impact in their life and in their career, whether it's at work or fitness or health or spending time with family. Um, you have to be way more intentional. It is not going to happen. Your employer is not going to do it for you. Your manager is not going to do it for you. Your partner is not going to do it for you. If you don't take control of your life, you're going to continue to be on that hamster wheel and you're never going to be happy. I love that about your uh, your personal brand 
as well. Um, you balance uh, this this idea of um, self care and uh, living a good life with wanting to win and setting goals and and ending them and and accomplishing them. So um, cool. Uh, couple couple rapid fire questions. Uh, one thing I'm I'm really curious about is is there is there a current topic that you're really diving into right now in terms of like noteworthy trends, things that are happening in the industry. Is there anything that you're like reading about, geeking out about, um, really excited about? Yeah, it's not really even related to marketing. It's more related to, to leadership, but it's emotional safety. I think that like a lot of constraints that come from employees being effective, having open lines of communication comes from emotional safety. And so I'm reading and I'm asking a lot of questions about this topic because I think if we can create more safe environments for employees to try, fail, learn, uh, the growth potential, not only for their career path, but for the company as an end result becomes pretty significant. So emotional safety and, and workplace safety is really important to me. Uh, I can say personally also the the difference in my motivation, my ability to work hard and care about things when I feel emotionally safe. Yes. So there's a, a business impact. Uh, the podcast is called the Fish and Spend Podcast. Um, yes. Last two questions. Uh, what is the, the most efficient uh, money that you've spent on marketing? And what's the most inefficient money you've spent on marketing? Most efficient was hiring a CRM person to build out a referral program. Um, I think like the we went from zero impact from referral to a K factor of 0.4, which is 40% of our revenue. And it was fixed cost and it happened really quick. And it was a self-sustaining, in some cases, growth loop. That was one of the most efficient. Um, the most inefficient, TV. Like t a TV test. Um, okay. I think that I should have done more uh, calls with people that have already spent the money. Like the thing that I, that we don't do enough of as a profession in marketing is we're all spending like hundreds of millions of dollars at different brands and we're not sharing those ideas. Yeah. Hence me launching the Slack community, Predictable Scale, uh, was for us to just share where we're losing. And uh, I would say what my first TV campaign felt like a complete flop. Like we, we spent a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, it, we, we saw only noise, no signal, um, since then have run TV successfully, um, because I talked to more people, I focused on the creative, I understood how to do a proper lift analysis. And so, um, there's a whole host of, of other very inefficient, inefficient activities. Um, but the learnings are often pretty significant. Sure. Um, cool. Awesome, Sean. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me.